As you take your Bible, turn with me today to Luke's Gospel, Luke's Gospel chapter 12. We will be turning to different passages. Normally we stay right in one text, but this morning we're going to turn to some different places. Uh, Have you ever been in a doctor's office and you've been sitting there waiting? And it's no wonder they call it a waiting room. Uh, They've even changed the terminology. Now it's a waiting area. (laughs) But you're you're waiting and waiting and waiting. Uh, I have been there waiting as well. And I have, uh, there have been times when uh, I have been sitting there when perhaps somebody came in who knew me and they're like, oh, uh, how long have you been waiting? Well, uh, I've been waiting, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. And so you chit chat and you engage in little conversation and then their name is called first before yours is you're like okay well you know sometimes that happens you know it's just it's not a big deal happens that way sometimes and so they go back for their appointment and y'all know how it is in a most doctor's offices they'll call you back and they you have to stop by the scales unfortunately anyway you stop by the scales and and they 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 tell you uh, how how much you weigh and then you get convicted all over again. And then, then you go to a little room, and they're like, okay. Uh, so the nurse will do, you know, take some information down, and she'll tell you this or that. And then she'll say, and, and the doctor will be in in just a little bit. Now, they don't say the doctor will be in in two minutes or ten minutes. They just say, they're trained to say, the doctor will be in in a little bit. And sometimes that little bit is just a few minutes, and sometimes it's... But so, so you're sitting there, and you're sitting there thinking, well, man, my buddy, whose appointment was scheduled for after mine, is already back there seeing the doctor. And I'm still sitting out here waiting. Just waiting. And then, after several more minutes of sitting there waiting... Your buddy, who got there after you did, whose appointment was after yours, your buddy comes walking out from the back, and he goes to the checkout counter, and, you know, it takes care of that, and maybe schedules another appointment, or, you know, pays the payment, or gives the insurance information, updates that, and, and, and he turns and looks at you, and you're still sitting there. And he's like, see ya. And then he says, have you seen the doctor yet? You're like, no. I'm still sitting here waiting. He's like, well, wow. Have a good day. See ya. He's out the door about his business. And you're still sitting there waiting. So for the last eight weeks, we've been talking about Jesus coming back. We've been talking about the great tribulation. We've been talking about the millennial kingdom and the battle of Armageddon and Satan's last attempt to overthrow Christ. We've talked about the great white throne judgment. We've talked about 
the Lamb's book of life. We've talked about the new heaven and the new earth and eternity beginning. And we're still here. You say, preacher, we've been hearing about Christ returning and you've gotten us excited about heaven, excited about Jesus coming back, but <laughs> what now? What now? You've gone through all that and, man, we were, we were just sure the trumpet would blow any time. We were just sure that Christ was going to split the sky and call us home, but he hadn't done it yet. We're still here. Now what? And I don't know about you, friends, but sometimes I think that. Sometimes I ask myself that, well, Lord, after all that we've thought about and talked about and we sing about it and we read verses about it, in fact, there are 260 chapters in the New Testament. And in those, did you know Christ's return is mentioned 318 times? Statistically, it's one verse for every 25 pages of the Bible refers to the return of Jesus Christ in some way, shape, or form. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus Christ will come back again. And God has given us specific instructions for what we are to do while we wait for him. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, mockers is another, another word, people that make fun, walking after their own lust and their own desires, Peter says. And here's what they're going to be saying, verse 4. Where is the promise of his coming? In other words, where is the token? Where's the proof that Jesus Christ really is coming back. And then here's what they say. For since the fathers fell asleep. In other words, uh, people have been saying this as long as I remember that Christ is going to return. But I mean, we've watched those that have come behind us. They're dead and gone. And they used to talk about Christ coming back. And yet they're all gone. And now we're here. And Jesus still hadn't come back yet. And then the question where is the proof that Jesus really is coming back? Ladies and gentlemen, there are individuals, and sometimes even in our own spirit, as Christians, we tend to get a little restless. And we're like, Lord, how much worse, how much worse does it have to get before you actually come back and take us home to be with you? We're waiting. <laughs> But now what? Since he hadn't come back yet. Now, friend, I'll say this. He might come back and it would tickle me to death. Well, that, 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 it wouldn't tickle me to death. It would tickle me to the rapture. But it would tickle me if he came back in the next five seconds. By the way, how many of you believe he can do that if he chose to? Right? I believe that with all my heart. But he hadn't come back yet. He's left us here. <laughs> Why has he left us here? We're still here. What now? Well, first of all, let me say to you that God wants us to keep watching. Keep watching. Here in Luke chapter 12, verse 37, notice it with me, please. Blessed are those servants 
whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find, what's the next word, gang? Watching. Thank you for everyone. Uh, uh, blessed are those servants, everybody answer out loud, whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find what, church? Watching. Now, the word watching there is an interesting word. You will not understand watching. Have you ever been watching something on television while at the same time you were engaged in something else? And your wife or your husband or your child, somebody may have walked in the room and they said, Hey, are you really watching this? Well, yes and no. Well, yeah, I mean, I know what's going on. And and every now and then I'll glance over at it, but, but I'm really not paying attention. You see, that's not the word here for watching in this parable that the Lord Jesus is giving. He's making direct correlation between his return and the return of this earthly Lord or leader, this boss, this employer. And he says, hey, when the employer comes back, when the boss comes back, when the Lord comes back, do you know what he's wanting to see? He's wanting to see people that are watching for him. The word watching here in the verse, it literally carries the idea of vigilance, like you're on guard, you're, you're, you're on standby, you're, you're, as we like to say, you're sitting on G waiting on O. You're wide-eyed, bug-eyed, as we say in athletics or sports, and coaches say, get on your toes, get on your toes. What does that mean? That means I'm ready. I'm not sitting back on my heels. I'm I'm on my toes. I'm ready. I'm watching. I'm watching. We have some duck hunters in the room. Now, I don't profess to be a good one, but I am one. Hallelujah. I just kind of have gotten into it recently. I think I went through about 100 boxes of shells before I ever killed my first duck. But one thing, one thing about duck hunting, well, there's several things about it, but one of the things that you've got to remember when you're duck hunting is you're not going to kill any ducks if you're not looking up. Look to the skies. Look at the skies. Well, can I tell you today, as a Christian, keep looking to the skies. Keep watching. Turn to Revelation 22, please. Would you in your Bible? Revelation 22, turn to uh, there. Uh, the, the last chapter in Scripture. If you're still with me, say amen this morning. Amen. Revelation 22, 7, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. Now, this is the last chapter. This is the last chapter of Scripture. And he says, I want you to know, verse 7, I'm coming quickly. That word quickly means that I am going to make no delays. I'm not going to delay my coming. It means that when the time is right and when the Father says that I am to return, that's when I'm coming back. Nothing is going to stop me. Nothing's going to hinder me. Behold, I come quickly. Same statement in verse 12. Behold, I come quickly. Down then in verse 20. 
He which testifieth these things, that's Christ himself, saith, Surely, surely, truly, I come quickly. Third time in this chapter. Amen. In other words, let it be so. Even so, John says, and here's here's the prayer. And it's interesting that here in verse 20, we have what we know as the last promise in Scripture, and it's coupled with the last prayer in Scripture. Behold, I come quickly. And then here's John praying this last prayer, and he says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, I know you're coming back, and I know the day's going to come, and, then, and it hadn't happened yet, but three times in this chapter, Jesus, you say, I'm coming back, and when I come, there's going to be nothing to hinder me from coming back. And then we pray with John today, Lord, I'm watching, I'm watching, even so come, Lord Jesus. In Luke chapter 21 Verse 28, Jesus says this to us, friend, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. God wants us today to continue to live with that expectant hope, that living hope. He says that blessed hope, Titus 2 verse 13, looking for that blessed hope, even the glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Embrace that Blessed hope. Don't lose sight of it. Maybe perhaps the reason we don't really long for his appearing as we should is because that we have lost sight of the fact that, friend, we weren't designed to get comfortable down here in this world. We're only travelers passing through this life, headed to a better land. We, like Abraham of old, are sojourning. We're travelers. It's interesting, you read in Genesis where Abraham lived or where where he dwelt. It says, Abraham dwelt in what? He dwelt in tents. We don't ever see Abraham living in a home, a house. It's a temporary dwelling. A tent is. Abraham the sojourner was teaching us in 2019 this lesson that this world is not our home, friend. We are absolutely just passing through. We're not on a vacation. We're we're in a battle zone. And this world is not our home. Sometimes it's, it's easy for us to get kind of settled down and focused on this life. Jesus says, no, sir, Uh uh-uh. You lift your eyes, and you keep watching. You keep watching. Lord, you hadn't come back yet. Now what? I want you to keep watching. Then he says, number two, I want you to keep working. Keep working. Go back to Luke. Luke's gospel. Look at chapter 19. Turn there with me, please. Luke 19, verse 11. So what does Jesus want me to do now? He wants you to keep watching. But then he wants you to keep working. Look at verse 11. Luke 19, 11. 
And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was near to Jerusalem because they thought that the kingdom of God should appear immediately. He said, therefore, in other words, he gives this parable to try to help and correct their thinking about the kingdom of God. A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds or ten pieces of coinage and said unto them, Occupy till I come. In other words, you occupy. Stop right there. You say, Christian, what does the word occupy mean? Well, the word occupy is an interesting word. It literally means I want you to continue to do your work. I've, I've given you these responsibilities. I've placed these treasures in your hand as stewards, and I want you to keep working. I don't want you to take a vacation. I don't want you to sit down on the job. I don't want you to be derelict in your responsibility. Yes, I'm going away, but I am coming back. And when I come back, I want to find you doing your work. I want to find you on the job, not asleep, not like the five unwise, uh, foolish virgins in the parable in Matthew 25 that were asleep and that weren't prepared. I want you to be ready and watching. And here in Luke 19, he says, I want you to be working, occupied till I come. You continue to fill and fulfill your responsibility that I've given you. Be faithful to carry out the business that I've left you here to fulfill. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to ask ourselves, uh, what is the business of the kingdom-minded believer? What is our business? Well, it's to exalt the king and to expand the kingdom. That's our primary function as Christians, to exalt the king and expand the kingdom. From heart to heart, we lift up the Lord with our life. We lift up the Lord with our lips. We lift up the Lord with our witness. We lift up the Lord with our stewardship. We expand the kingdom of God through our life and through our behavior and through our philosophy, through our worldview, through our testimony. So you have to ask yourself this question Practically speaking, friend, what am I currently doing to fulfill that mandate in my life? So I'd love for you today as God's people to look at your individual life and see, am I really fulfilling this mandate from my king? Am I being salt? Am I being light? Am I following Matthew 5 to let my light so shine before men that they will see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven? Are you working for Christ? Are you working for the King? Are you busy in the service of the King? I'm afraid too many of us are sitting on the sidelines as spectators. We aren't contributors, we're consumers. We aren't fully engaged and locked in. We're simply observers. We aren't about the Lord's business, but we're all about our business. 
We're really not concerned with his fame and name. We're concerned with ours. Alistair Begg said, if your theology allows you to sit on your hands, then you need to get a new theology. And I say amen to that. Are you sitting on your hands? Or are you occupying? Are you busy in the service of the king? Are you exalting the king and expanding his kingdom? Can I encourage you today as we go to the last thought? Can I encourage you this morning? Can I encourage you? Friend, let's, let's, let's join together and get busy in the things that will matter for eternity. Now, we're all good at getting busy in things that matter for time, and there's not really necessarily anything wrong with that per se, but there is when we get so busy in that that to the neglect of the eternal, we're not busy about the king's business. Hear me. We got one shot at this thing called life. God has given you a coin, just like he's given me. And when he comes back, we have to give an account for what we've done with that coin. Did we bury it? Or did we multiply it? Did we invest it? And everybody has a coin, and I want you to invisibly hold up that invisible coin in your hand right now. And I want you to ask yourself, what am I doing with this coin called life? Watch me. Am I investing it in the kingdom? Am I spending my coin for that that will matter for eternity? Oh, friend, God doesn't want you to to neglect your family in this. He doesn't. He doesn't want you to neglect your health. That's not what he's saying. But are you investing your life in that that will outlive you? I have to ask myself, Christian, what treasures are you really laying up in heaven? And I'm not just talking about monetary things. I'm talking about souls. I'm talking about investments, eternal investments in that that will never be stolen and never fade away. What am I doing with that coin? How am I investing that? So God says, yes, Christian, you're still here. (laughs) I know I've not come back yet. You're still here. So I want you to keep watching. And I want you to keep working. And then I close with this. He says, I want you to keep walking. I want you to keep walking. 1 John 3, 2 and 3, beloved Now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear. Listen to this. It's not clearly evident yet, he says, exactly what we will be like in eternity. That's what he means by that. It's not not fully apparent all the questions we have about, well, um, uh, what are our glorified bodies going to look like? I don't know. How old are we going to be when we get to heaven? I don't know. 
are babies that died that are in heaven still going to resemble babies? I don't know. Are elderly people who have passed over and gone on to glory, are they still going to be elderly when we see them again? I don't know. You see, there are a lot of questions about eternity, heaven, heaven on earth that the Bible doesn't specifically answer. And so that's why John said, it doesn't yet appear how we exactly are going to be on that day. But keep, keep reading. Listen to this. But we know this. We know that when he shall appear, thank God, we shall be like him. Whatever that means, in all of its totality, we're going to be like him. Glorified, whole, pure, without the taint of sin, for we shall see him as he is. Just as he is, we're going to see Jesus. Not somebody else like him, we're going to see him. Not a replica, not a duplicate, not a copy. We're going to see Jesus. And everybody said hallelujah about that one. And we're going to be like Jesus. Now now verse 3. Now here's the application. All right. Verse 2 is the shouting ground. Now here's the application. And every man, every person, every woman that has this hope in him, this person purifies himself. He purifies himself. Even as Christ is pure. That literally means that everybody who is looking for Christ to return. Everybody who as Paul's talked about in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 there. Where, where he says that, that, that Christ has laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, is going to give me on that day. But not to me only. I love this. But, but, but also to all those who love his appearing. That's me and you. We're we're looking, we're watching because we long for, we desire, we love to see the appearing of Jesus. And Paul said, you're going to get a crown of rejoicing. You're going to rejoice on that day. We have this hope that when he appears, we're going to be like him. And we know we'll see him as he is. And John said, everybody that has this hope, you know what they do? They purify themselves. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, preacher. We just sang about purification. Right? We just sang about the blood of Christ cleansing us, cleansing us. What, what, I, I thought we were cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But here it says that everybody that has this hope, we are responsible. Now, watch this. To purify ourselves. Literally, that means that this person makes himself clean as if he were taking a bath. It's the idea of keeping ourselves clean, even in staying away from that that is dirty. You see, there is positional sanctification that you and I, thank God, have been made perfect and whole and cleansed and justified in Christ Jesus through his blood. Can I get an amen right there? But then there's practical sanctification, 
where God says, now, because you're filled and possessed with the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit has given you and me as individual Christians the ability to sanctify ourselves. To abstain from sin. To purge ourselves. To be clean ourselves. Just like a person takes a bath. The word was used of ceremonial cleansing when the high priest would go into the tabernacle or the temple and they would stand at that bowl of water and they would wash their flesh before they ever went into the holy place. God says, I want you to understand that you as a Christian, Christian pal, you as my child, you as a believer, you have the precious spirit of God living inside of you. And because of that, you have now been given the ability to monitor your own life through the power of the Holy Spirit and to cleanse and sanctify and make sure that you live a life that is holy unto God. Every single day that we live, we have this responsibility to examine. Paul said, so let a man, 2 Corinthians 13, let a man examine himself. Look at yourself. Look at yourself. I challenge us as a church. I challenge us, friend. Let's let's get with the mirror of God's word. And every day, let's let the mirror point some things out to us. Let's get in the presence of Jesus every day and let's let Jesus point some things out to us. Question, what's he pointing out to you? Now, if you've been around here long, you know that several years ago, I bought a white suit. And if it's possible for a fat man to look sharp in a white suit, Because, you know, bowling balls can't be sharp. (laughs) All right. So, I only break out the white suit for special occasions. Like I wore it, like, maybe one time on Easter. And I got called everything from Benny Hinn (laughs) to Colonel Sanders. And I got home and I told Aaron, I said, I ain't wearing this stupid white suit anymore. Because people make fun of me. But I've worn it here and there. Just, you know. I even got brave one time and wore my white suit and a bow tie. Except I couldn't, I, I, I Googled how to tie a bow tie for two hours that Sunday afternoon and still couldn't figure out how to tie a bow tie. I know, I know you're going to be like, preacher, Every, anybody can learn how to tie a bow tie. I mean, I learned in five seconds. I know you're more intelligent than I am. I, I know that. I, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, so just, just stop, the, stop the live stream right now, okay? I had, to, I had to get my wife to help me tie my bow tie. So you know what I did after that? I bought some that were already tied, Hallelujah. <laughs> you know what I learned about that white suit? It's hard to keep clean. Man, every little, and I mean, every little, every little stain. 
I'll get home, take it off, hang it up, hold it up in the closet in the light. I'm like, great day. This thing, it doesn't look quite white anymore. <laughs> Looks a little off-white by this now, you know. It's kind of faded a little bit. Looks a little dingy. Can I tell you something? Living in this world, how many of you know, living in this world every day, uh, Vance Havner said that we don't live yet in the sweet by and by. We live in the nasty now and now. And guess what happens sometimes? We get stained. And God says, I want you to I want you to come back to me every day. That's why a daily walk is so important. I want you to come back to me every day. And I want you to get in my presence. And I want you to examine yourself. Because I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm looking for a glorious church without spot and without wrinkle. And without stain. And everybody that has this hope goes before the mirror and goes before the basin. And we let the Holy Spirit of God cleanse us from every stain. Have you ever gotten something on your garment and you didn't even know it? Until it was there for like four and a half hours. And you've been, maybe you sat in something. And everybody was laughing at you, but they, they, were, they didn't have the guts to tell you, but they'd rather laugh at you. Or something, you're like, man, how long have I had that on my suit? How long have I had that on my dress? How long have I, has that been on my britches? How long has that been on my shirt? And I didn't even know it. And it wasn't until you stood in front of the mirror. That you saw it. In Jesus' name today, let's get in front of the mirror. And let's let the Holy Spirit show us. All right, Christian, here's some stains. Here's some things that you need to take care of. Here's some things you need to confess. Here's some things you need to get right. Are y'all with me this morning? Keep watching. That involves the eyes. Keep working. That involves the hands. Keep walking. That involves the feet and the heart. May the Lord help us.